We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Tarowski, and this week we're discussing Barbara from the graphic novel I Kill Giants. And to help with the discussion is returning guest Mav from the Vox Popcast. Welcome back, Mav. Hey, thanks. I'm looking forward to this. I love this book. You said you uh, you actually had taught this book recently, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've taught the book a couple of times. I taught it most recently I did a comics class that I taught at Duquesne University, and I I taught a class on, I call it sex violence in comics, where we talk uh, about gender issues and violence issues in comic books and graphic novels, and I call it sex instead of gender because it turns out that makes more people sign up for the class. And <laughs> it's a little trick that I learned when, I, when, I, when designing your own course, and um I use it because most of the most of the books we talk about are more stereotypical gender roles. Um, and this one, I always feel that Barbara has a very, a very interesting look at femininity for a fifth grade girl that I that I think just makes it interesting. So that's that's why I teach it. I've taught it a couple of times. I love the book. I also own the movie, which I've never watched. I need to watch it at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw the trailer for the movie, and I have not seen the movie yet. I picked up this mm-hmm. graphic novel after all the buzz it had uh, as the, the individual comic books. So it, it originally was, uh, is it a seven-issue miniseries? Uh, I think so. I wrote it down. Let's see. Well, I guess, here, before we get to that, let me just tell listeners, I Kill Giants is a 2008 comic book miniseries, and it was originally uh, seven issues. And it was written by Joe Kelly and drawn by J.M. Ken Nomura. And it tells the story of Barbara Thorson. A, is, is she middle school? Uh, I was trying to find she, the she's exact in, age. In the book, she's in fifth grade when it starts. She's, okay, so, so elementary school. Yeah. Okay. So she's an elementary school girl who feels called to fight giant monsters that nobody else can see. Um, and so that's kind of uh, the premise. She's like everyone else is living a normal elementary school life. All of her friends, um, you know, there's nothing fantastical, but she sees this fantastical world and she says, I'm going to kill the giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the series was coming out uh, from uh, Image, I, I just saw lots of good reviews of it. And after it was all collected into um, the trade paperback, that's when I picked it up and I read it. Um, uh, well, I guess this is the point. It, it might be almost 10 years ago because I read it pretty quick after it, was, it came out. Um, and it's something that had always been kind of in the back of my head as something that we should cover on the protagonist podcast, but I hadn't reread it until I saw you mentioned somewhere that you, or, or maybe it was in a discussion where we, we were just throwing back and forth ideas for you to come and be a guest on. You mentioned that you were mm-hmm. teaching this one. I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. we should do that one. And so then I reread it just in the last few days. I think um, we talked about it briefly it, on my show. 
Yeah, it didn't make the cut on on the episode that you were on where we where we drafted a a fictional comics class, and it ended up not making the cut um, for the list that we made. But it's one of my favorites to teach, so I, I talked about it. Yeah, then. and I'll be interested to to hear what kind of discussions happen in the class uh, w- with this text because mm-hmm. it's a really interesting text, um, and it's one that. Uh, like I said, it's it's been almost a, a probably a decade nearly since I first read it, and it still kind of like lingers in my head. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I need to go revisit that one. Uh, and I definitely enjoyed rereading it this this past week to prep um, for this discussion. Um, it was just a, a few bits of trivia. It was voted the best indie book of 2008 on. Oh, I can't remember what website it was now. Uh, <laughs> may have to go double check that. But uh, you know, it, it, it was getting praise when it when it was coming out. It didn't win the Eisner or anything, but it was like recognized. If you look at any websites that that um, do reviews of comic books, uh, this this is one that people were talking about in 2008 and 2009. And as you mentioned, it was adapted into a film in 2017. That was written by Joe Kelly and directed by Anders Walter. And it starred Madison Wolf as Barbara and Zoe Saldana uh, as the school counselor, uh, Mrs. Mole, I think is how that is said. It's mm-hmm. M-O-L-L-E. Mo- I always say Molly, uh, but I'm not sure. Molly? Okay, yeah. I, that's how uh, I pronounce Zoe's... it, but I've not watched it. So it's in my head. Yeah. It's Molly. Uh, you got to say, Zoe Saldana must be one of the hardest working actresses in Hollywood. It feels like <laughs> she is in so much all the time. <laughs> She's no Tiffany Haddish, but yeah, she's up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish had, I think, seven films come out in the last in in the last ten weeks of last year. <laughs> she was that, that, she literally uh, was in yeah she, she was in every movie at the end of the year. <laughs> it was that amazing. Is so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just feel like every time I'm at the movie, there's another trailer. Like, oh, there's always Saldana. She's got another mm-hmm. other thing yeah. coming out. I'm gonna do a Star Wars. I got time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Was she back early on in her career? Was she in Pirates of the Caribbean? Am I remembering that right? She did. Yeah, I believe she did. Yes. No, she did. Yeah, she, yeah, no, she, she was did in the first Pirates of the she, Caribbean, I think. Yeah, she she the hasn't done a Star part. Wars yet. She did Star Trek. She did Star Trek. Confuse yeah. those movies. Uh, Star Pirates Trek, of the Caribbean, Guardians Star of the Trek, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So and now Avatar. Avengers, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. She was Avatar. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, she's... Uh. She's done a lot. Yeah. And, and then throwing out into indie films on the side too. And and did she do like a TV yeah. mini series of Rosemary's Baby last year? Oh, year I didn't see that. Uh, did she? Maybe. That might be like two or three years ago. Oh, okay. Well, she's a hardworking actress. Yes. <laughs> but, but we're not talking about the film. We're talking about the graphic novel uh, yeah. today. Uh, but before we get to the long summary listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, where, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about any new TV shows or films or books that we've been uh, watching or reading. And we also give updates on our fantasy box office and the start of 2019 has been a bit disappointing <laughs> in terms of box office and Rotten Tomato scores, and most of them have been my picks so far. So we're going to see how this year turns out. <laughs> um, all patrons who, who support our show with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss, and we had some new picks come in recently, and we definitely appreciate those patrons. All right, so now I'm going to give a long summary of I Kill Giants. So Barbara is a young girl, and if she's in fifth grade, she'd be about 11 years old, which is a classic age for <laughs> for uh, female protagonists that are in these kind of coming-of-age stories. 11 years, 11 years old is really just hitting that mark. Uh, and at the beginning, she's in her bedroom, and she's kind of in this uh, 
blanket fort that she's built and she's offering this grim fantasy narration <laughs> about this darkness that's going to envelop the world basically and she pricks her finger to draw blood and she draws an, an image on a heart-shaped purse that is going to carry her ultimate weapon a hammer um, at school parents uh, are talking about their jobs it's a, it's the you know the parent come in and, and talk about their career day and there's one dad who is a motivational speaker and he <laughs> sees barbara sitting in the back reading her D manual or at least i think that's what it was and he's, he's like i'm gonna reach this student uh, i'm a motivational speaker this is what i do and uh she ends up just arguing with the dad saying she doesn't need motivation she knows what she's supposed to do and she will do it she kills giants uh her speech uh, and her attitude get her sent to the principal's office which seems to be a fairly routine occurrence <laughs> barbara gets home that day and the house is empty but there's something ominous that she feels about having to go upstairs like this is like the classic horror movie shot of the stairs as she looks up the stairs <laughs> it's just somehow the stairs seem larger than life and you can tell she's nervous about it but she runs up there uh, to her room. Later, Barbara's older sister gets home and she, uh, makes dinner while Barbara runs a D&D campaign in the kitchen. Uh, that night, Barbara takes her hammer, which is named Kovaleski, with her <laughs> as she goes down to the beach to talk to some fairies and leave some leftover food to act as bait near a trap that she has built for the giants. And while she's doing this, a new neighbor girl named Sophia comes by to meet Barbara. And Sophia is nice and Barbara isn't mean to her per se, but she's very dismissive. <laughs> she's not particularly nice to Sophia, but Sophia is so good that she doesn't care that Barbara is a bit prickly. Uh, at school the next day, a bully named Taylor, and this is a girl, just a very large girl named Taylor, demands payment from Barbara, and Barbara spits in her hand. And just as a fight is about to break out, Barbara is called to Mrs. Molly's office. And uh, I'm going to go with your pronunciation now. So Mrs. Molly is a school's counselor slash psychiatrist, and she tries to break through with Barbara, but has little luck. Later on, Taylor uh, attacks Barbara in the hallway, and Sophia runs and gets the principal to come break up the fight. That night on the beach, Barbara is with Sophia, and, he, and she tells Sophia about the giants. She goes into this mythology about the origins of titans and giants and explains that there are swamp giants and mountain giants and so on. But the giants go away for so long that people forget they exist, and then the giants come back and attack, and the people don't know what to do. But Barbara kills giants, so everything's going to be okay. It's also revealed that her hammer is named after Kovaleski, who was an obscure baseball pitcher who ended up with the nickname the giant killer after he beat the giants three times in one week uh, in the early days of major league baseball 1908 uh, yeah <laughs> it's, it's a great name what like once you hear the story you're like oh that's quality work <laughs> all the way and of course being 11 years old in like 2008 she she knows about baseball players uh, 1908 from years baseball yeah <laughs> with the nickname giant killer yeah uh, back at her house, Barbara is again nervous to go upstairs to her bedroom. As she's going upstairs, a voice whispers and then calls out her name, and it freaks Barbara out. She runs and hides in the blanket fort in her room. At school, Barbara's meeting with Mrs. Molly again, and she but she shuts down any personal questions. Uh, at gym class, things go very badly. Barbara's sent to the principal's office again. <laughs> just, just no. Basically, every time she's at school, she's going to get sent to the principal's office. Uh, we cut back to a meeting with a counselor, and Mrs. Molly asks Barbara how things are going at home with her sister Karen, her brother Dave, and then, and this is like what happens in the comic book, is some words are blacked out in the word blue. Uh, we don't know what's being said. Uh, <clears throat> but Barbara, uh, when when this is said, whatever is said is said, she stands up and hits Mrs. Molly and then runs out of the room. On the way home, the bully Taylor attacks Barbara, and it, she's so much bigger, she's easily winning the fight. But then Taylor grabs that heart-shaped purse that carries 
the hammer, Kovaleski, and she starts to open up the purse, and Barbara goes feral, like just animalistic, and, <laughs> and biting her and scratching at her. And uh, Sophia runs in, uh, trying to stop the fight, and uh, Barbara punches Sophia in the face because uh, she doesn't even like she's so feral at this point she doesn't even realize it's Sophia. At home, uh, Karen, Barbara's older sister, has made dinner again, but she starts yelling Barbara at Barbara about something that again gets blacked out, blocked, uh, blacked out entirely. The words balloons, like scribbles, are over the words, so we don't know what's mm-hmm. actually being said. Uh, that night, Barbara is back on the beach preparing her trap for the giants. She even cuts herself to make a blood sacrifice. At school, Barbara tells Mrs. Molly about giants. Uh, Taylor, uh, the bully, goes to Sophia, who got punched by Barbara. Uh, she goes to Sophia and asks why Barbara is so weird and crazy. And Sophia actually tells Taylor about the giants and the trap on the beach. So Taylor goes down to the beach and messes up everything that Barbara has set up. Barbara runs in and tries to stop them from messing it up. And, and Sophia's not messing it up. She's just watching and kind of asking them not to. Uh, Sophia's fairly passive in all this. Uh, Barbara, when she runs in, she opens up her purse and pulls out her hammer, Kovaleski, which you get the feeling is supposed to be this massive um, item, kind of like coming from a, a bag of holding or something like bigger, you know, a Mary Poppins bag, bigger on the inside. <laughs> she's pulling out something giant, but she pulls out and it's just this tiny toy baseball bat. Um, and Taylor, the bully, hits Barbara with in the head with a baseball real bat baseball with a bat. nail in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the little one, like with one little nail. It almost looks like a thumbtack. Yes. More than a nail. Uh, but then Barbara gets hit in the head with a real baseball bat. And now we cut to Barbara waking up in her room because she was knocked unconscious. And Sophia is sitting on the stairs uh, waiting to see if Barbara's okay. And Barbara tells her to come in, but to do it slowly so that nobody sees her. And then Sophia runs away because it feels very creepy. And Barbara tries to follow her silently, but she looks down the hall. And we see a monstrous thing. It, it looks like this monster that's holding up a rack with a corpse attached to it. And Barbara screams. And that's the end of that scene. Uh, Barbara skips several days of school. So Sophia and Mrs. Molly go looking for her. Mrs. Molly finds Barbara picking up a dead bird. And Barbara says, I need this for a sacrifice. I, I need to fix my hammer. I need to do a sacrifice. But I don't want to kill anything. So I'm finding a dead bird. And I hope that works. Um, Mrs. Molly looks Barbara in the eyes and says, you cannot kill this giant. Your mother has cancer. We need to go to her together and work with the time you have left. Barbara calls Mrs. Molly a liar and runs away. And then Barbara goes down to the beach where we see Sophia now trying to stop Taylor from destroying what's left of the giant trap. So it starts raining while they're there. And Taylor looks out over the ocean and says, what is that? And Barbara says, it's here. But it's not a giant. It's a titan, which is unstoppable. So she was prepared to stop giants, but not titans. Taylor and Sophia scream for Barbara to run. uh, But Barbara runs into the ocean to fight the titan, saying it can't take her mother. And the titan says it's not there for her mother. It came for her, meaning Barbara. And Barbara screams and hits the titan in the head. And then there's a flash flash of lightning. And and the next thing we see is Sophia finding the heart-shaped purse washing up on the shore. Uh, Now we're going to cut to the house and we hear news reports over the tv about a very unexpected and rare tornado that struck the beach there are no casualties confirmed casualties but one girl is missing uh family and friends are gathered at barbara's house um uh you know obviously just waiting for any news about barbara and then barbara walks up to the door and she's soaking wet and she opens the door and we get a flashback of the titan telling her i came for you child all things that live die that is why you must find joy in the living while the time is yours and not fear the end to deny deny this is to deny life to fear this is to fear life but to embrace this can you embrace this you are stronger than you think and uh, after she gets home barbara goes upstairs to the room that she's been scared of and this is where we see that her mom is lying uh, in a hospital bed in the room when she has an IV hooked up to her. And Barbara climbs into the bed and curls up next to her mom and tells her that she's sorry. 
And uh, then some time passes. We get the sense that like we don't really see them spend time together, but some time passes. And then we get to the mother's funeral. And at the funeral, we see Barbara leave her purse, the heart-shaped purse on her mom's grave. And Barbara tells Mrs. Molly, I'm sad, really, really sad. But we knew it was coming and we enjoyed the time we had. And that night at home, uh, Barbara goes and like looks in on her sister and her brother and like spends a little time with them. And then she goes up to her own room and she looks out and sees the Titan like standing in the ocean and sinking down in the ocean. And she sniffles a bit and then she says to the Titan, we're going to be all right. We're stronger than we think. The end. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I love this book. <laughs> it, it's really I, good. I, I, like, uh... <laughs> I, adore, it's, it's I good. adore this book. It is so I always try to think of how to explain it, because as I said, I teach it in a class and I teach it in a class of college students of of you know, upper class um, under uh, undergraduates. And I am always hesitant to because they look at it and it's like, what is this? And it's. It's a children's book, but it's a children's book almost for adults. Like, I don't think I'd give this to an actual 11 year old to read because it's kind of not scary, but it's just it's so poignant in in places. The It's, you know, it's frightening in that, you know, it's all about being afraid of cancer, of death, the mortality of your parent dying. And it is so heartwarming and just makes you want to cry when you get to the end (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah it's got a young protagonist's point of view um Mm -hmm. and we're you know it is absolutely a you know kind of a coming of age and coming to grips with reality (laughs) um kind of story uh but like you said i i it's definitely a more mature book than uh you know a kid's book right Mm -hmm. Oh, and I guess we should say uh, for listeners who haven't read this, it is the art is in a manga style. Uh, it's black and white. Um, it's got the kind of I mean, uh, there's a lot of ranges of manga style, but it's not traditional American comic book art uh, or what you think no. of with superhero no. comic book. And in fact, when art. they black out the when they black out the parts where they don't want to talk about her mother dying, they do it in such a way as to make you think that they're just blacking out swear words. It's it's very much a if you're familiar with with manga style in books that aren't for mature readers they will scribble over it's the they make it look like the equivalent of in american comic books we'd use random punctuation it, it's used right, in where, that where they do like the, the pound sign the dollar sign the percentage yeah. sign the exclamation point that's what you get in like 1990s comic books whenever the characters were swearing right. <laughs> <laughs> they would just have yeah. that uh and, and so yeah it, it does feel like that and um it enough is blocked out you're like kind of like what are they saying and like after you've read it you can tell, oh, that's just says your mother. And this one is talking like it's whenever anyone's talking to her about her mother. She goes into this rage state where and also, I guess I, I, I didn't say it in the summary, but uh, interspersed with the panels are fate are the Titans face like a monster's face gets interspersed after there's a word balloon with a word blacked out. You see like a flash of a monster's face in the next panel and then it goes back to the room. And so like she's going into this the threatening fantasy world uh, whenever anyone mm-hmm. is talking to her about her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess uh, I'm very intrigued with how you teach this so what, what kind of uh, discussions are you hoping to get out of the class or, or like what what are what are the themes that you're going to address with your students after you, you've assigned I Kill Giants they've read it now what is your hope for the next class discussion <laughs> the hope for the next class discussion so the class that I taught it in was again focused around gender representations of of 
the gender representation in general, but I teach it chronologically. I start, I, I start before Superman. I start in, I start with pulp um, novels, pop, um, pop fiction novels from 19 teens. And then I kind of move through today. So this ends up chronologically at, you know, you said it's 2008. So I end up using this right after we've been reading the, um, and, and by the way, when you teach a class, it's a gender studies class you tend to have far more female students than male students just because there are more there are more when women's and gender studies majors who are female than there are male and it's maybe shouldn't be that way but that's the world we live in and i have at this point just taken them through the 1990s in comics where if you were a fan of comics in the 1990s it was not particularly young woman friendly <laughs> not not that it is woke. <laughs> no, not that it is now, but you know, we've just been reading right before this, they're reading Witchblade, they're reading uh, Danger oh Girl, which I actually like, they're, but they're reading these image comics. We're doing image comics because that's the 90s explosion, you know, the creator explosion, uh-huh. where all, you know, a, a large percentage of the books are just about half naked women with large chests killing things. And I tell them, so we're going to read another image book and I give them this and it's, you know, it's from image comics. It's called I kill giants. I tell them it has a female protagonist and that's what they get going in there. And I tell them, I do say, I think this one's a little better than the stuff we've been reading. I say that. (laughs) Um, And I let them just sort of go with it. I do uh, warn them often. This is a little bit sad. If you are predisposed to crying when you read books, don't read it in front of other people because um and then i i just let them go and i ask them so what does this say about gender and they usually there are a few who didn't like it but most of them like it because given the context i think of what we've been reading up until that point it's almost it's refreshing but i also think that they like that it is not your typical coming of age story, even for a young girl, like if you read like a Hunger Games, Hunger Games is an action adventure story um, starring a young girl, but it's very much wrapped wrapped up in, oh, I must choose between two boys. You know, the Twilight thing, the Hunger, the Hunger mm-hmm. Games thing. It, it's very much a, you know, a young girl's coming of age is almost necessarily in a building. Uh, about Vermont, romantic you know, pairing. Right. About romantic pairing, you know, pride and prejudice, any of them. And this is not that. This is... Let me at age 11 learn to become an adult because of the very real problem that my mother is dying. And you don't know that for most of the book. And that is like, they don't know what to make of it. So they come in very confused that first day. Cause we, we read it all in one day and they come in and they're like, this was not what I thought it was going to be. And it really isn't. It, it is. There's so much to say about it. And it makes me, it, it's a very personal story. To where, you know, you're reflecting on how much you love your parents, you know, uh, and I expect if you're a little older, you might look at it as a how much you love your children. But it is very much a, you know, how do I deal with mortality at age 11? And I've not yet had a student say that, you know, they have a parent who died that young. So I don't know. If they, I don't know what happens when when you reflect on it that way. But they do appreciate it for the most part. There are a few who you know, prefer kind of the more superhero-y American comics thing who are like, eh, this was not for me. But most of them love it. Yeah, and I remember when I was, uh, the first time I read the trade paperback, I think it took me two tries because I read the first issue and it didn't grab me because you don't, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, so much of the, the, 
thematic heft that makes this matter comes in the last two issues, right? <laughs> like when yeah. you learn the mom has can- cancer, that's when you start to put this puzzle together. And at first it's like, who is this weird girl? Why does she think she can see monsters when clearly no one else can? Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it's only when you like power through and get through it all. I, and this would have been a very interesting experience to read in the monthly installments as it was coming yeah, out. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Did you say you read it as single issues or you read it? Because I've only ever no, read it. No, like after the, after the praise, I picked up the trade paperback. And so the first okay, time I read same it. Same as me. Uh, yeah. And so I started it and I was like, no, nah, this isn't grabbing me. And then I came back to it like a month later mm-hmm. and, and I finished yeah, it. I was I, like, oh, that's a lot better than I expected. I didn't put it down the first time because I loved her character. I liked the character of the smart alecky little girl who plays Dungeons and Dragons. And in fact, I'll tell you, like in the first issue, because I marked the page where I was all in on the first issue was after she gets sent to the principal's office that first time. <laughs> it, um, is a, it, it is a good gets, sequence. Yes. She, so, so in, you know, she, she, she basically dresses down this, this parent, this adult who is frankly, you know, he's meant to be an idiot adult. You know, the idiot adult is always in any any child like coming of age story where, oh, grownups are stupid. And he's like, oh, let me rap to the young people. Let me tell you about motivational speaking. And and she, you know, she basically calls him an idiot. And then when she meets the principal, the principal says to her, um, you need to fly right, Barbara. Stop talking back to your teachers and enough of with this killing giants nonsense or we're calling home. And she says to him, nonsense with respect, Principal Marks. Until you've actually fought a giant, until you've looked into its eyes and seen the horrors that crawl behind them, until you've plunged your broadsword into their arteries and felt the hot and wet spray of victory wash over you, intoxicated by the steaming perfume of spilled entrails, you really have no right to judge me. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm all in. (laughs) This girl's nuts, but I need to know how it's going. (laughs) I I thought you were going to talk about the, the way. So when she's waiting for the principal's office, there's two other kids there. Oh yeah, and she she freaks the boy out sitting next to her because she like talks about getting paddled and she's like, I know Caned. this office, Caned. yeah, yeah, getting caned, yeah, Not even and, and, and then uh, after she gets kicked out, you know, the principal's done with her and he's like, next, and the boy stands up and the principal starts to say like, oh, I see we, you forgot your lunch money, and the boy's like, I don't want to get caned or whatever it is that he's, he's yelling, he's panicking about it. Yes, because she's a horrible person. So that's yes, what, that's, yeah. that's what makes her great. She's the, she is not. I mean, she is she is the hero of the story. She is the protagonist. You know, as your podcast says, but she is she is not like she has no friends except for eventually Sophia because she's not anybody that anyone would want to hang out with. She's a smart aleck, and she's frankly just mean to everybody. And it's and I get the impression when I read it, I don't think she's just mean. Because she's sort of like in one in some respect, probably a lot of it is her acting out because her mom is sick. But I don't yeah, think it's absolutely. really about her mom being sick. I think she was mean before that too. <laughs> I think she's just a, I think she's an unpleasurable person. She's just a you know she's kind of you know annoying. And you know there there have been points in my life where maybe I was that person when I was when I was a little kid. Yeah, you know, I, I was a little kid playing Dungeons and Dragons, and you know smart avid reader had you know have so i i get that but she's just she is so over everybody (laughs) she doesn't want to be there (laughs) and she lets them know it and it's so great and it just makes me it makes me love her my other favorite line in the in and it is um you mentioned at one point 
when in a blacked out section when she says when mrs molly first says um your your you know your mother is gonna die when we don't know that's what she's saying she slaps mrs molly she slaps and she gets in trouble for it so when she goes home her sister's like you slapped a teacher and 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 barbara's response is i'd never hit a teacher they don't get paid enough for that abuse she's a psychologist <laughs> and as a teacher who's married to a psychologist, <laughs> I, just, I, I adore that line. <laughs> um, and, well, and you, you mentioned like she's she's a jerk um, when we see her DMing um, the, the Dungeons and Dragons game. So this is this would be most likely like her closest group of friends. And one of them makes a joke about doing something stupid in the game, which I've never really played DM. I, I've done one session with Andrew or, or done Dungeons and Dragons. I've done one session with Andrew uh, at, at a family reunion. Some some others said, hey, I want to try that. And Andrew DM'd like a one evening little, little, little adventure for us. And that is really my exposure. But my understanding is there's lots of jokes about, oh, I'm going to do this. And you're not really serious. But she says, okay, you said you're doing it. And she rolled the dice and said your character died. <laughs> <laughs> she killed she killed his character. He's like, I've been working on that character for for a month. And she's like, he's dead. And she has no sympathy yes. for no. for for her I'm assuming friend, right? <laughs> That's typically what well, makes I don't your, know your D so, groups. Well, not necessarily, because I get the impression. So in that one, she's playing I think she's playing at either her house or one of the one of the It's at her house because her sister is uh oh, her is making dinner. There. Yes. Yes. Um but Often when you when you have a D&D adventure group, there's two ways this can happen because she she also plays at the comic book store. We find out later. And, uh, you, you know, when I was a kid, I, I very often played amongst a group of close friends, people that I really did hang out with uh, when I was hurt, when I was her age. But there are also people who will just sort of be friends only by virtue of the fact that they're in a gaming group. And I get the impression just from the scene in the comic book store that these kids don't really like her. They're afraid of her. They just know that yeah, she's a good I, dungeon master. Yeah, they right. they tolerate her because she's very good at the game. <laughs> but but, um, but the nice thing in Andrew is that Andrew plays Dungeons and Dragons. The DM's power is absolute. You have to understand how this game works. So because <laughs> I've been the dungeon master and you and 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 I agree, you should have a sense of humor about it. But every once in a while, you run into into a game master if it's not Dungeons and Dragons who doesn't have a sense of humor. And I've been in situations where. A dungeon master has killed my character and just like, nope, sorry, you're dead. Bye. <laughs> and you do, you do develop. I was, I was much gentler on Joseph's group. <laughs> I, I should have died several times in our in our little adventure. Right? I, I, I fudged a little bit during that shark attack, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I kept you, you going. <laughs> you develop an attachment to your characters. You do, especially if you're if you're that age. And when I, when I was younger and, you know, you sit there and you and you and you you sit there and for you know, we, we we talked off air about how, you know, how much I stress over fantasy football and how much I stress over uh, my version of the fantasy box office game that you guys were talking about. And when I was when, when I was 12 and making a Dungeons and Dragons character sitting there and going, how much gold do I want to spend on arrows for my crossbow? I need to, you know, <laughs> and trying to work out encumbrance. You get really, really devoted to these, you know, do I want to slide a point over from charisma to constitution? <sighs> you know, <laughs> look, there's a lot, there's a lot of intense thought that goes into this. So, so I understand, I understand where the kid's coming from. And for the DM to just be like, nope, you're dead. Next. Who's next? <laughs> it is frustrating. <laughs> So, uh, in, in talking about the the character of Barbara, um, there's there's two things I want to touch on. I think this is a good good point. Um, 
one is she is this jerk at the beginning and and Mm -hmm. as you said some of that is clearly about the stress that she has at home right the Mm -hmm. you know the her mom is dying there's a few references to her dad just having abandoned the family Mm -hmm. we're not sure when if it's when the mom got sick or previously but the dad's gone uh, completely out um um and so a very rough situation at home and she is definitely lashing out because of that but also maybe she was just a jerk before mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as, as, as you, you pulled out a few of these threads and mm-hmm. uh, um one of the biggest transformations we see at the end is um after she comes out of the ocean uh you know and getting cambellian after she's baptized in the abyss <laughs> and comes out uh <laughs> she is a different person right she like first she goes up to the room that has scared her this entire graphic novel uh or or uh, comic book series and she goes and curls up next to her mom and says mm-hmm. she's sorry she's been scared to see her mom die um and that but then also like the other moments that we see like this we whipped through pretty quickly whatever time was left between yeah. then and her mom's funeral school uh, ends and they do the summer yeah they do the summer and yeah, she's the, back she, in sixth grade later yeah uh she has friends like she's she's not the freak at school anymore she hugs mrs molly um she um uh, uh and, and then the the final scene is her uh going and um and like seeing her uh her brother like like just connecting with her brother briefly and mm-hmm. then she goes and sees the titan uh, out the window and i remember when i was first reading, I'm like is that her brother it was like mrs molly mentioned her brother i'm like was that who was in the dm group <laughs> like in the dungeon dragon group <laughs> i wasn't even is. sure because it's not treated like a sibling relationship and, but then the other thing that's interesting to me is the last line um like the titan had said you are stronger than you think and the last line she says is we we are stronger mm-hmm. than we think um and so she's gone from this very individualistic character to part of a community like she's created she's she has a different bond going with her family and she's extended her peer group uh, and her relationship with Mrs. Molly is different. So she's, it's become a we for her and not mm-hmm. just an I, whereas the character we have in the first issue is so individual and so cut off from any social interactions or even her filial bonds with her, with her older sister and her brother are very strained as well. Mm-hmm. And, and th- so the big transformation is that move from, from I to we, I think. So here's how her relationship with her brother is so bad that I have taught this book twice, uh, which means I've read it four well, I've read it four times before this before this week. I read it the first time I read it, I read it when I thought I was gonna teach it, and then I read it both times with my class. So four times, most recently this fall, um, or last fall, you know, uh, four, uh, four months ago when I taught it. And then I hadn't read it in four months and I read it again starting yesterday, finished it this morning. And every time I read it, I forget that she has a brother. He is that little <laughs> part of story. <laughs> it's like, brother, what? Her, she's got her sister named Karen. Uh, um, right. yeah, <laughs> Barbara and Karen. Karen's an important part of the story because Karen is her mother figure. Her, Karen is an, is an adult, but I get the impression that she's she's Barbara's like maybe 11. David, her older brother, is maybe 15 or 16. You don't really know. And Karen is probably 20. So she's got an older, uh, a significantly enough older sister that her sister has a job and is taking care of the younger kids while their mom's dying. And they make a they make a point of staying, saying that since the dad's out of the picture, um, Karen's going to apply for custody of them. So she's old enough that that can happen. And then I go, she has a brother? 
what brother? And, and, and every time I read that, this happens because he's barely mentioned. And then I was like, what mm-hmm. is his? And I'm reading it. I'm like, what is his name? What is his name? And it's like, oh, it's David. There you go. Like, I forget every single time. So so I don't think she's close to them. She's close to Karen because she has to be. She has to deal with her as a parent. But I don't think she before before from you know the emergence from the belly of the beast again if you want to talk in your in your cambellian mountain <laughs> terms she has no real personal relationship with her karen's antagonistic and then when she comes you know when she comes out of her giant baptismal she's essentially she is a transformed person to where i don't think she's nice in fact we know from her scenes at school she's still not necessarily pleasant but she's sort of mm-hmm. the snarky friend now she's somebody that you can at least talk to yeah and she clearly cares about them which we don't get at the beginning <laughs> like at the not beginning at <laughs> <laughs> she, she has she has no social connections uh, and you feel <laughs> that she she has become part of a social group uh, at the end mm-hmm. and, and so that's one of the major transformations in terms of coming of age it's not just making peace with her mom dying and coming to understand mortality and, you know, taking advantage of the time she didn't have with her mom, instead of just being scared of the idea of her mom dying and letting that freeze her out Mm -hmm. um, from, from strengthening that relationship. It is now she, like you said, she's completely a different person uh, Mm -hmm. in in those final, you know, in that, in that final few pages. Now, the Mm -hmm. other question I wanted to ask about her and you, I, I see you have it in the show notes. Are there real giants? Because <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I take this poll. Th- this text leaves enough ambiguity about it mm-hmm. that did she really go fight a Titan and get reborn? Or was she taken away by the tornado and uh, happened to realize I need to go be with my mom? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I take a poll every time I, every time I, or both, I mean, I've taught it twice. And the first time they said no, the second time they said yes. I'm not sure. I'm curious what you think. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm leaning towards no, like, but but the way this is crafted, there's enough wiggle room. I I could be convinced either way, which I've, um I, I actually quite enjoy that ambiguity. I, I think yeah. it strengthens the 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 story. Uh, on our our last quick cast that we recorded, I mentioned that on a flight I watched the movie Christopher Robin, that Ewan McGregor one that had the CGI Winnie the Pooh and everything. Yeah, have you I seen that one, yet, but, no, I haven't seen it, but last okay. week, I know well, it came out last year. I didn't get to catch it. I'm going to spoil a little bit of it. Uh, through the first two-thirds or three-quarters of the film, uh, you get the sense that, okay, Christopher Robin played with these stuffed animals when he was a kid. He grew up. He faced war. Uh, he's now an adult. He's forgotten imagination. And uh, then uh, he on a really stressful weekend, you, you can almost say he's having – some sort of emotional breakdown and he starts to see them again. And mm-hmm. he's like back to his childlike wonder and imagination. And it's only through Chris Robin's point of view that we see them, the, the Woody, the Pooh and Piglet and everything alive and moving. Uh, and so you can just say, okay, this is him reverting through the stress to his childhood. And then eventually like his daughter sees them and you're like, okay, well that's childhood wonder that all works. But then there comes a moment in the film where in London, like policemen and bystanders see Woody, the Pooh and Tigger talking. And it's like, at that point I'm like, what is the universe this film is supposed to be operating in? Like, I don't understand mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> what, which uh, I was charmed by a lot of that film. Like the scenes of Ewan McGregor talking to the Pooh are pretty perfect. <laughs> like the, the CGI mm-hmm. Pooh is just so it, it's just like fills you with wonder to see it on screen the way it is. But then there's like, once you see other random people seeing that Winnie the Pooh is alive and talking, and this isn't just in Christopher Robin or his daughter's head, or even his wife's like, I could just seen his wife being pulled in and that wouldn't have bothered me. But mm-hmm. once you're saying, okay, Winnie the Pooh is a stuffed animal that can, can walk and talk and everyone can see it. If they happen <laughs> to be in the room with him, it's like, what? I, I just don't understand the war, the narrative universe anymore. And this one, d- like, has 
a lot of that same thing where it's like, okay, yes. well, through three quarters of this, the uh, is she really seeing giants or is this just in her world? And it ends by saying, maybe it was just in her world. Maybe it's real. <laughs> well, so, and, and I kind of love it for that. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. And that's what I like about it. The first time, and, and I've read it both ways. The first time I read it, I was certain there were no giants. This is, oh, this is a coping mechanism. That's deep. You know, that was that was my first impression the very first time I read it several years ago. And this most recent time, you know, this this week when I read it, I I'm really struck by the part when right before she gets carried away by the Titan or the tornado, whichever it is, it's implied that Taylor and uh, and Sophia can see it. Now, maybe they're seeing a tornado. Maybe they're yeah, not exactly the language they use could be a tornado it could be vague, <laughs> but but Sophia at the end. Oh, and by the way, you were talking about the time, you know, some time has passed. It's the summer. The school year has ended. They've had the summer and there's subtle details. This is so good. Sophia for, throughout most of the book is maybe an inch or two taller than Barbara. In the last scene, she's a good six inch tar- six inches taller. Sophia had a growth spurt over the summer. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a little subtle detail oh, that you okay. can just tell. And but um, uh-huh. but when but when Sophia go when they go back to school when they're in sixth grade and they do the what did you do over the summer and Barbara's like eh, nothing I slept a lot and Sophia's like she also killed a giant you know <laughs> like so and and <laughs> Sophia's her friend so maybe she's humoring her but like this time I really felt like Sophia saw the giant or the, so I don't know yeah if it was going to definitively say that there are no giants what you would do is after she comes out of the ocean you never see a giant again, but mm-hmm. they show us a giant again. At the end, she talks to a giant and the giant's yeah. kind of like, I, my mission's complete. I helped you through this trying time in your life. Yeah, Or, or she's schizophrenic. You know, you, you have no way of knowing. There's no, like, maybe she just sees things that aren't there. I don't know. And I also don't know. I but mean, at I the think- same time, also, like, the, uh, the Titan is fading away at the end. Like, it's sinking into the ocean. And that could mm-hmm. be a saying, this was her coping mechanism. Like you said, she's made peace with life and mortality Mm -hmm. and she's more mature now so she doesn't need this coping mechanism Mm -hmm. who who knows i think it also doesn't matter i think i think the book is taking the stance that it's sort of it's sort of okay you can read it either you can read it either way and maybe she sees them maybe she doesn't you know it's fine you know you just kind of Mm -hmm. you kind of work with it however you know however you want and it's just they're real to her they're real enough to her for them to matter in a um for them to for them to matter as her coping mechanism but also as her looking at it as a as a literary text it is her mechanism for growth it is the central aspect of her character arc is she was put there her her herculean trials she has to kill the giant that's how this story progresses so in as much as the the narrative needs a conflict for it to occur that's her trial so the giant is real in a you know textual sense and i and i think the book is trying to say that's all that matters to barbara anyway mm-hmm. and because this book is her story and largely her point of view that's all that matters to us as an audience right yeah mm-hmm. uh, you know so that's what how joe kelly and uh namora the, the the artists are gonna present it to us mm-hmm Oh, also, we never said, we never said, by the way, she's not just Barbara. She's Barbara Thorson. Her last name is Thorson (laughs) because. Thorson. (laughs) Because it has to be. (laughs) 
because she's gonna be wielding a hammer to go kill giants there's there's no good yeah it's just yeah and the you know the the, and her her kovaleski the bat is um it's just it's a keychain it's a keychain bat that has that she stuck a nail through it to make it a, or attack to make it a hammer at the end and it's just when she pulls it out of the, she pulls it out of the bag it's just this tiny thing she's like and she thinks it's broken that's that's great because she um and they don't really tell you why it's broken you never figure it out it, it, maybe it's broken because there are no giants there are no magic hammers but she also she sees it as broken because she's no longer worthy she's she wants to use it for vengeance against Taylor and Taylor's thugs. And Taylor, by the way, is a girl in her school who appears to be drawn like she's 47. You know, she's <laughs> she's, yeah, she's like a uh, trunchbull and Matilda is what yeah. it made me think of. <laughs> yeah, she's massive. She's like, oh my God, this girl's gonna kill her. And, and you know, and Barbara fights. She's supposed to be a fifth grader. I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah, Taylor's somebody I'm afraid of as a grown man. But um <laughs> but but when the hammer is tiny and then when she fights the actual giant, then she pulls the hammer out of the bag and it has, you know, she's using it for a worthy cause. And it is this majestic, massive warhammer that's bigger than her. So. So maybe it's real. I don't know. So near the end of the story, we get this moment after Barbara skips school for a couple of days where Mrs. Molly finds Barbara as Barbara is harvesting this dead bird from the gutter because <laughs> Barbara feels like she needs an animal for a sacrifice and isn't willing to kill something. Though she's willing to cut herself. Uh, so she's not squeamish about blood, but killing something is, is a bridge too far for her. But this is the moment where Mrs. Molly says, you can't kill this giant. Your mom has cancer. And so a lot of things start to click for readers all the blacked out speech before we realize that's when people were talking about her mother the room that she's scared of upstairs you can start to piece together that's her mother's room where her where where barbara's mom is dying uh but mav why do you think this is the moment narratively where we get this reveal like what allows us to see the word balloon it uh, you said a little bit ago you said that this is very much a point of view story. It's from Barbara's point of view, even though, I mean, it's a comic book, so it's not a first person narrative, but for all intents and purposes, if, if this was a novel, it probably would be presented that way. We only see what she sees. Um, she, uh, she is our perspective character for the entire, for the entirety of the book. And with a few exceptions, there's a time where Taylor and, and Sophia are together. So that's the moment it's it, it's it's after she's collecting sacrifices but just before that is when her entire world has fallen apart it's when she accidentally punches sophia and she um and she is not you know she's she's not she doesn't see her mom or we don't know it's her mom but she sees the monster in her house and we're 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 to believe that it's you know doing something to a corpse she's without friends she goes to um you know kovaleski is not is not working anymore it's she's not worthy and so i think that's her rock bottom moment you know that and and I, I guess that this is sort of, you know, the only way that she can she can progress once she's hit that rock bottom in her in, in her journey is that she's got to start actually fighting the giant. And since the giant is cancer, at least metaphorically, you know, I, she needs to acknowledge it in order to move on. So that is the you know, that is the beginning of the moment of climax. I mean, I guess narratively, the moment of climax is when she actually does fight the giant. But before that, it's sort of a we need this to 
we need to take her into the next level. And the next level is Taylor's no longer scary. She's not afraid of Taylor. She can fight. She can fight Taylor. She can stand up to the principal. She can stand up to Mrs. Molly. So I, I guess that's just the, you know, well, here's your fear. This is the real, this is the real villain. And so they give mm-hmm. us that twist, but it is weird because she's not really ready to accept it, but we have to as readers. Yeah, like uh, like structurally, story-wise, I understand why it happens in that moment for us as readers. That's where we can start right. to put the puzzle of everything we've read together and look at all that came before with this new light and re, you know reassess uh, the information that we have leading into the big finale um, mm-hmm. that, that's about to come. So it makes perfect sense for us to gain this information right then. Uh, I, I I like what you're saying about like the other threats don't scare her anymore so she needs to begin to be ready to face the final threat right Mm -hmm. um uh but yeah yeah so i was trying to think like why is this the moment where where it's not blocked out for us like within the narrative i understand structurally why but within the narrative what's what's the uh impetus Mm -hmm. for for that those words to get through to her yeah because because she's definitely aware i mean when she slaps miss molly the first time it's because Miss Molly said the exact same thing. Your mom has can't. I mean, we know that now. We don't know that when when it happens. But she just, you know, she slaps the school psychologist, and we don't really know why, other than these blacked out boxes. And you just sort of let it go. So this time it gets through to us, and I don't know, but I don't know that it gets through to her because she sort of she doesn't she doesn't slap her the same way. She does push Miss Molly away and Miss Molly falls down when she said, when she says it, you know, you cannot kill this giant. And she just put, and she just shoves her and she, and Barbara runs saying, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. So it's not, you know, she's aware of it. I don't think she's as delusional as I tend to read her. Now that you mentioned that I, it's more, she, she knows that her mom has cancer, but the giants are a bigger deal. And this is where it's starting to become that the cancer is a bigger deal, I guess. So we can reveal right, it yeah. to the reader, but it's right, totally like, a like, trick. I'll, for the narrative, like the cancer, and the monster are one, uh, but maybe this right. is the moment where, where um, for Barbara, she's being told that for the first time. And, mm-hmm. and, and so maybe it's because it's, it's directly hooked in with the giant that, she gets mm-hmm. it because she she's living in the world of the giants, and so having having that connection made so explicit uh, as far as the metaphor, the symbolism goes by Mrs. Mm-hmm. Molly. That's that's why it's not blocked out. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is an odd. It's an odd choice, though, the way it happens. There's. It's just. It's one of the few. Well, actually, there's a lot of things that don't necessarily make sense. You know, we talked about are the giants even real? But it is one mm-hmm. of the few narrative breaks where you don't where you don't get an explanation. It, it's just the trope of the story needs that to happen. <laughs> you know, it, right. it needs to not use the black bars anymore in order for the story to progress. So it, for, it's for, one of for us as an audience, it, we need right. to be able to see it. Right. So it's an interesting yeah. thing. Um, one final question. I think we're, you know, we're, we're about, we're at the point we need to, um, wrap up. What is your feeling about the heart shaped purse? That is, <laughs> <laughs> it's her one like, really thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's her. It's her one. It, it's and well, actually, no, she has two girly things, um, the heart shaped purse. And what I love about her even more than the heart shaped purse is completely unexplained with no. Exp- there's no explanation whatsoever. No one even references it. But she wears animal ears and routinely every once in a while she wears something different. She At one point, she's wandering around in a knight's mask um, and a, a helmet. Uh-huh. 
just because she just likes <laughs> things like this. But right. um, but she has bunny ears. She'll have cat ears. She, you know, um, I have a niece who's who's nine, and she, you know, she wears things like that. It's it's this one little thing that she has. She carries a purse, and it's heart shaped, and it's probably and we don't know where it came from. Maybe it was a gift from her mom. We we have no idea. But it's the one thing that is stereotypically feminine about her. Mm-hmm. And is that she carries a purse at all. It's the one way that I feel like, you know, here's the thing where I'm a girl and it's important to her. And she, you know, and, and she has like, she has these moments where, you know, like there's no, we didn't talk about it earlier, but there's this moment where she, Sophia passes her a note and it's just a, are, you know, are we friends? Yes or no. And she loves it. So she's going to put it in her purse and then she has to stop because she remembers Kovaleski's in there and she, she can't, you know, open the bag. Right. And, destroy its sanctity uh, that's what i was thinking about is like this like literally it's her heart she's about to open her heart and she's like i can't yet and it's after she Mm -hmm. the time is right for her to open her heart that she reconnects with everything like so in some ways like this is a little on the nose but other ways it's pretty perfect (laughs) to have well yeah except for except for (laughs) then at the end she she like she buries her heart with her mother which you know so maybe that's a but i don't think that i don't think that it's when she buries her mother, I don't think that she's closing herself off. I think you're right. No, no. Before. She, she's opened up to the entire world. So maybe she doesn't need the metaphorical heart anymore. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's just, it's something that's so interesting about the character to like every, everything else we see. And with the R sound, but there's always this heart swinging on her hip. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have one last detail too, that, um, that, that I wanted to point out. It doesn't fit anywhere else in, but when, you know, after we've had the summer and she's been, She's once again ignoring school and reading and reading her own books. And again, one of the things that I love about her is when I was her age, actually, when I was younger, I used to do this in class when I was in like first grade. I hated reading the school books because I was just a better reader than wherever they were. So I would always read my books in the back of class and get in trouble. But she has moved from reading Dungeons and Dragons manuals in fifth grade to she is reading Queen Bees and Wannabes in sixth grade. (laughs) Which is just so perfect for her. For people who don't know Queen Bees and Wannabes, it is, it is, it's not fiction. It's not a novel. It is a self help book or a, or a parent's guide to dealing with children who are facing bullying issues. It is the book that Mean Girls the movie is based on. Even though Mean Girls yeah. is a fictional story, it's the it, Mean Girls is originally based around anecdotes in the self help book called Queen Bees and Wannabes. And the fact that she's reading that is. Of course she is. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course <laughs> it just feels right. Yeah. yeah. Of course she is. So. Uh, well, I guess we're about to the point where we need to wrap up. Any final thoughts on uh, I Kill Giants? Just, I mean, it's weird because the way your show is, we've spoiled the entire book for you. Read it anyway. I, I know what happens. I've read it five times now it is so delightful it is so good i don't understand um and and it's so it it's not a typical comic book in any way shape or form it's not a typical graphic novel in any way shape or form but it is such a personal story and i just love how it i love how it is you know sort of broken down and displayed for people i i think everyone should should give it a shot and like i tell my class don't read it in front of people if you're predisposed to crying. It, it is so like yeah. The after listening to the, the show, you know issue. that the mom dies. It's so yeah. hard. It is so hard. yeah. The last issue, it, it was getting to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, particularly, I I have a a ten year old daughter, and I mean, my wife and I are perfectly healthy, but at the same time, it's like. Mm. 
Like just the yeah. thought of a child yeah. that age going through anything like this. Like I just, I want to give her and I also want to give her older sister a hug. I feel like that older sister mm-hmm. is shouldering a burden that is underappreciated <laughs> by everyone that sees what's going on. Yeah. Cause she's not, I, I don't know. Again, we don't know how old she is. She's old enough that Barbara considers her an adult, but you know, and yeah, she just, has a job, but it seems like entry level job somewhere, right? Uh, and and just yeah. genetically, like how you know she can only be. Uh, this is this isn't written in the 1920s where people have children over a course of 30 years. You know, she's probably mm-hmm. in a you know within 10 years of her. So she's I don't know 21 at the oldest. Yeah. yeah. I, and I wouldn't be surprised if she's like 18 or 19, like just barely finished high school. Right. And oh, oh, yeah. I can't go to college because I have to take care of my sick mom and, and, and my, brother and my and younger sister. brother and sister. Because yeah, there is a brother there. We, we see. <laughs> it's confirmed. <laughs> In like four panels. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would be interested to see the story play out from that sister's point of view. Like what's going on in the sister's life as <laughs> just, her mom is dying and her, your sister just in her mind's view is having a break from reality. You know, she's just like, I, I just, I just want to go on a date, go to a movie, maybe read a book. <laughs> just, she just wants a moment yeah. to herself. <laughs> yes. I, and she makes the food that's never appreciated. No. <laughs> When Barbara, when Barbara first comes back from the Titan or the tornado or wherever she is, she's like, everybody's like, oh, we missed you so much. We're glad you're okay. And Barbara says, just don't cook again. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> because she's not a good person. She's, yeah, there's still a bit of the, the snarky jerk there. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a moment where, again, that, that older sister needs a hug. She should get it in that moment. <laughs> but instead she gets yes. the, don't cook well, again. She does well. They they are hugging. It's just like she, <laughs> yeah. she does hug her, but she's just like, yeah, just just don't cook anymore. <laughs> it's like, oh god. <laughs> so it's good. It's everybody should read it. <laughs> uh, I agree. All right, uh, that is going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. And I just, uh, for the first time in about a year, I went and saw. Oh, have we got any new reviews? There's some really nice reviews there. So thank you for those of you <laughs> who left some nice reviews, and no thank you to the two <laughs> negative reviews I saw. <laughs> we 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 have enough reviews that we have five stars. So like the negative ones didn't drag it down. But it's like, oh, I, didn't, I wish I hadn't read that. <laughs> uh, we would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. And thank you, Mav, for joining us. And where could our listeners find uh, more of your your uh, content? Because you are also a podcaster now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I host a show called uh, The Vox Popcast, which is we, – we always have struggle with how to explain it. My usual way of saying it is – it is a pop culture analysis show from an, both a popular and an academic point of view with drinking and swearing. <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah. yeah we have a topic a every week where we. As the protagonist podcast. Yeah. No, no. But it's, I mean, it's not gratuitously swearing, but, uh, but the idea of it was we, um, it's me and I have three co-hosts who I'm on there almost every week. And then the three of them sort of alternate uh, Wayne, Hannah, and Katia. And we were talking and we realized that the kinds of things that we do at an academic conference where we're sitting on a, on a panel are essentially the same com- kind of conversations that we might have 
about a TV show or a movie or a pop culture concept in a bar. So let's just bring that together and do it on the internet every week. And that's, that's what our show is. <laughs> so it, 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 it's about the kind of swearing, the level of swearing that you might have if you're having a beer with your friends and talking about Riverdale, the best show ever. Which is an ongoing joke from my that show. That is a hill you will you will die on, right? Is that That's Riverdale right. is the best show ever? That's right. It's an ongoing joke from my show. So, so yes, please check us out there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can follow my blog at chrismaverick.com. All right. Uh, well, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go ch- back and check out episode number 20 when we talked about Katniss Everdeen and Hunger Games or episode number 94 when we talked about Eleven from Stranger Things. Some of the uh, there's some shared DNA in these characters <laughs> across those those stories. Uh, you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We enjoy our conversations there with our listeners. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. I went silent for five seconds there. I didn't hear oh, the question. You, you, you're cutting in a little out. Am I gone again? Say. Can you hear me now? I Okay, I, I hear you, but like you're cutting in and out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>